Amen. And you may be seated and good morning. Y'all doing well? I know it's hot, right? It is. It is what it is. But we're, uh, we're sure glad to have you. If I've not met you, my name's Steve. It's my privilege to, to be the pastor here, and we're delighted that you're here. I, I've got a couple of quick things. First of all, one of our new missionaries that we've taken on, David Drosky. David, do you mind just standing and waving? David has uh, been one of our pastors up in... Uh, actually served up a solid rock up in Prescott forever, uh, but God's given him a wonderful counseling ministry, and it's just put upon his heart just to, to actually minister to people that are, are in full-time work, right, from all the pressures and stresses, and so our, uh, our missions team has just taken them on, and David, it's great to have you with us this morning, and so uh, you'll be getting cards from some of these people, so uh, there you go. Hey, couple things. Uh, Sarah has been teasing in social media in our Wednesday or our Thursday newsletter. By the way, if you don't get those, make sure you sign up. But we've got a new podcast that is coming out starting on August the eighth. It is called Resident Strangers: Christian Thinking in a Foreign World. So I'm along with the Rich. If you don't know Rich, Rich is in the back. Rich is one of our elders. He is <clears throat> the professor of philosophy at GCU. But what we want to do is we want to take, we want to take theology. We want to take truth and, and not just talk about it and what it means, but how do you live it out? You know, one of the things, and I'll share this in the first episode, that it's just concerned me in the last number of years of Bible-believing Christians who say, man, I believe the Bible, but yet the way we're living in this crazy world uh, doesn't really take that truth and put it out. And so that's what we're going to do. Uh, as you, if you probably have looked at some point, we, you know, as a church, we have a doctoral statement, so we're going to process through that. But just beyond the truth, how do we live it out? And the best part is... We're going to do it in 25 minutes or less, right? I, podcasts that go on forever, they lose me. I, I call it a one-commute podcast, right? And if we ever go past that, it's not Rich's fault or my fault, it's Sarah's fault because, you know, she just talks way too much. We're so quiet. <clears throat> and, uh, but you can get signed up for that so that when they, they're going to drop on Tuesdays, uh, so wherever you like, Spotify, Apple, Android, whatever, you can get signed up for that and that'll drop but we're excited about that and uh, one other thing um, I've had a lot of questions uh, in the last couple months of are we as a church you know when's our next trip to Israel and uh, we are it's, it is set we're going February of 24 so in about 14 months and uh, so I, I've got brochures. If you've got some interest in this, you know, one of the things that you know is, is travel is expensive. Um, it's kind of funny because uh, in the last couple trips, I, I've cut a day here and taken some things off, just try to keep. And then I take people and I watch them shop. And I kind of go, well, maybe cost isn't that big of a thing. And I know that sometimes people only get to Israel once in their life. So it's like, you know, if I was going once, what all would I want to see? So I added a day back in. And then uh, the extension, because you get all the way over there, you might want to 
do something else while you're there. The extension, we're going to do another four, four or five days uh, going up to uh, Turkey and seeing the seven churches of Revelation. So if you've been here in our study of Revelation, we've shown some pictures for that. And... Uh, and that's really cool. It's like my favorite extension that we've done. So anyway, if you're interested, there's, there's some brochures up here. We are in our study of the book of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles or would open them up on your phone, that'd be great. We are in Jonah chapter 2 today. We've entitled it, The Pursuit of Us. And when we think about God's pursuit of us, it starts, of course, in his pursuit of us to become his children through faith and salvation. It always starts with salvation. So if you're here today and you've not come to put your faith and trust in Christ, to understand that he died for you, paid the penalty for your sins, invited him to be your savior, that's where it begins. And, and very well, the reason that he may have you here today is so that you will come to that place in your life. Because apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. But in him, Man, there is eternal life, and he offers it as an absolutely free gift. And so God works in our life to bring us to that point. He's not willing, Peter tells us, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But once you come to that point of decision, you come to that point of putting your faith in Jesus, you become one of his children. And now his desire, and we talked about this in our first week of this series in Jonah, his will for you, his will for me is that you and I would become like Jesus, that we would be conformed to the image of his son. And so he works in our life to do that. Now here's the issue, and hopefully this will be an encouragement to you. None of us are perfect in that endeavor. The the path from where we were to Christ-likeness is not perfect. And it's not been perfect for anyone because we're all fallen, right? It, it, it's always a struggle. I mean, you think, of, you think of Abraham, this great man of faith who's going to be the father of God's people. And yet, there's Hagar and Ishmael and you know those consequences go on to today you have David a man after God's own heart David who was so loved to God that hey one of your sons is going to sit on the throne of Israel forever <laughs> oh yeah Bathsheba Uriah but God didn't give up on him you think of Peter Peter, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And yet Peter, at the crucial moment when Jesus is going to the cross, denies that he even knows him three times. Doesn't that make you feel better? You see, as God's children, there are going to be those times that we, we walk in rebellion. Those times that our heart grows cold those moments where we kind of get our eyes off of him and we begin to shift to the left and to the right. And the wonderful thing that you need to be reminded is is that God still loves you. God still pursues you. God is still at work in your heart because his will for you and for me is that we would become like Jesus. 
And this is what we see in, in Jonah, right? Jonah is walked in rebellion. Jonah has chosen to actually walk away from what God has told him to do. God doesn't give up on him. Let's read. We're going to read the 10 verses of, of, of chapter 2. If you'll follow along while I read aloud, that would be great. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the currents engulfed me, and all your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountain. The earth with its bars were around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay, salvation is from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Three things in this passage I want to look at today. The first is that one of the tools that God uses the most in his pursuit of us is the tool of time. It's not the only tool that he has. I mean, we can see with Jonah, God had the storm, God had the fish, God had a lot of different things, but there's also time. You know, think about it. Jonah when he decided he wasn't going to Nineveh, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, where, where Jonah was from was actually up kind of in north-central Israel. Joppa's down in the, in the southwest. So Jonah, best we understand, travels down to Joppa. God could have stopped him anywhere along the way. He doesn't. Jonah then goes and has to find a ship that's going in the opposite direction in Nineveh. God could have stopped that. There could have been no ships there going where he wanted to go. He doesn't. They pull out of the harbor. God could have sunk the boat right there. He didn't. We don't know how long the boat was out at sea. We know he's in the, in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, but think about it. We don't even know when chapter 2 happened. Did it happen in the first five minutes of being in the fish? Or did it happen a couple days in? You see, one of the tools, and one of God's best tools, is the tool of time. But that's frustrating to us. Now, I know this may come as a shock to you. But I, <clears throat> I'm not the most patient guy in the world. And if you don't believe me, talk to my wife. I, I like action. I like, hey, when we make a decision, let's go. Quite honestly, that's why that has been the scourge of my life. Right? Because it's just like, ah, right, let's go. I, 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 I'm, I just, I want to I move. 
And I remember, I remember when uh, I went to college and I had been serving the Lord and he had given me opportunities to go out and speak and do things in high school and we're very involved in ministry and then I went to Moody Bible Institute and, and I, I literally felt like God had put me on the shelf. I mean, the, even though we had a Christian work assignment, it just wasn't all that meaningful. I mean, we were in the jails, we'd go in and preach it. So you would never see these guys ever again. You, you know, you had about 30 minutes with them was all. And it was just frustrating. And, and I was getting no opportunities to go and speak and do the things that I love. And I couldn't find a church to get really connected with. And what's really funny is that later I figured it out that what really had happened is that God had put me on the shelf. Right? There were things inside that God needed to do in my heart, and he needed to pull me away from ministry. But it was frustrating. And it's like, God, what was going on? And I was struggling with that. But what God is doing in the midst of the time is God is doing his work in our lives deep down that will ultimately help us become like Jesus. And so often, even in those moments where we're walking in rebellion and we're, we're not going the right direction, or maybe we know somebody like that, right? We're praying for them. I mean, I've got some family members now that we're praying for. They're walking in rebellion to the Lord, and we just want God to hit them now, right? Zap them now, right? Get their attention now. And it's frustrating, but often what God does is he lets us kind of stew in our mess a little bit. So here's Jonah. He's in the fish. You know, we call it often rock bottom, right? Have you ever been to rock bottom? Sometimes when God gets our attention. The reality is sometimes it's not hitting rock bottom, but it's living at rock bottom that really where we need to be. We don't know how long he's in the fish before he has his aha moment that I'm going to turn my heart back to the Lord. But I think the implication of Scripture is probably it didn't happen immediately. He had to stew in his mess. And sometimes that's what we have to do. And yet God is still at work. It's like... A, for those of you that are parents and never ever tried to potty train, right? So, some kids, it's really easy. Some kids, it's like, it's never going to work because it's warm, it's theirs, and they're good. And it's like, and what you end up having to do is kind of let them, okay, if that's the way you want to do it, you're going to have to like sit in it for a while. Till finally they go, oh, this isn't so good. And it creates other issues. And that's, that's one of the tools that God sometimes uses in our heart. It's time. It's time in the midst of the rebellion. It's time sitting in the mess that's made by our decision of, of not following the Lord with the whole heart. So let me give you a couple of, I think, sub-points here that I think are really important. Be careful to not interrupt that, either in your life or in somebody else's. First of all, with that, don't give up praying for them, right? Don't, don't think, oh man, they're a lost cause. They'll never come to Christ. 
or their lost cause, they walked away from the Lord, they're never going to come back. Keep praying. God is at work. We may not see it. I mean, I think, you know, nobody would have thought God was working in Jonah's heart because nobody knew he's in the belly of the fish. They just thought he was gone. But, but God knew right where he was. Are you familiar, familiar at all with the name George Mueller? I ring a bell. He was a very God prayer warrior, right? So if you read about prayer, he's got a biography out. It's great. He was a man of great faith. He had orphanages. He never asked for a dime. He just lived by faith. God always provided. But George Mueller tells a story, and his biographer actually tells a story of two men that George Mueller prayed for, that they would come to faith in Jesus. And he prayed for them, this great man of faith, so many wonderful times. He prayed for them for 65 years. I'm thinking, I probably would have thought it was a lost cause. 65 years. One of those men, just a couple months before George Mueller passed and went, went home, came to faith in Christ. One of those men, it was actually a couple months after his death that he came to faith in Christ. Don't give up praying for people. Don't, don't, write, don't write them off. I, I, I think of my own, in my own life, so many of you know my story. Before I came to Arizona, I, I, was, I was married to a young lady by the name of Pam, uh, and we'd been married for four years. And she came out of a religious home, but, but religious in a sense of Catholic, and, and very much salvation is by works, salvation is by checking the boxes, salvation is found in the church. And, and when she was in high school, someone shared the gospel, it made sense, she accepted Christ. Uh, when we started dating, she was a, a student at Wheaton College, and her mom had come, got involved in a Bible study, and learned the truth, had come to put her faith in Christ. But her biggest prayer request was always for her dad, Tim. And uh, I don't know if Tim's watching. He was last night, so I want to say, uh, not get him upset with me. Cause, uh, but Tim, Tim was one of those self-sufficient guys. I mean, he was, he's I mean, 6'5". Casey's watching, 240. Um, he big boy, and he 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 was physical. They built houses. He drove trucks. I mean, it's kind of self-made, right? All that type of thing, and and yet he couldn't get past so what he had to do. What he had to do. Well, as you know, my story uh, in childbirth complications set in, and, and Pam passed away at twenty-three years of age. And she had prayed literally every day. And we had prayed together that, her, that Tim would come to faith in Christ. And I thought, well, this will be the moment. That will be that one kind of redeeming thing out of this. But Tim didn't come to faith in Christ. In fact, the reality probably got a little more mad at God. And I had opportunities over the years to share the gospel with him and to keep coming back to know it's salvation by grace through faith. That's why Jesus came. But it became very apparent I wasn't going to be the guy. He wasn't going to take it from me. And so then Tammy comes into my life, and guess what? We start praying for Tim. And we pray, and we pray, and there just there doesn't seem to be any movement 
And sometimes it's easy to get discouraged. The church that my mother-in-law attended, a really wonderful church, very square in the gospel, got a new pastor. Their new pastor came, his name was Arnie. And Arnie, for whatever reason, took an interest. I'm going to believe it was an answer to our prayers. He took an interest in Tim. They had a lot of the same interests. They liked to hunt and fish. Maybe why I was not the guy, right? And they spent time together, and all of a sudden, Tim started going to church. And we thought, wow, and we kept praying. And I'll never forget the day I get this call out of the blue from my father-in-law, Tim. I mean, and this is years down the line. He says, hey, Steve, I wanted you to know I'm, I'm getting baptized this weekend. And I said, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait here, right? And so we started talking. And all of a sudden, I understood the light bulb had come on. It's salvation by grace through faith. I put my faith in Jesus. I'm, I'm following him in baptism. We had prayed for 20-some-odd years. Don't quit praying. you got that person you, you think knows Jesus, but they've walked away from the Lord. Don't quit praying. God is at work. You may not see it. You may not know about it, but don't give up on praying for people. Secondly, and this is a little harder, you got that person in your life, don't get in the way of what God's trying to do either. You know, sometimes in our well-meaning, because we love these people, we care about these people, and, but they're walking away from the Lord, they're making bad decisions, they're living in rebellion, and they get their life in the mess. And because we love them and because we care about them, it's really easy to want to come in and kind of save them from that rock bottom. Would it very well maybe that's exactly where God's trying to get them, just like Jonah, so they got nothing else. So to look to him. We call it enabling. And again, it doesn't mean that we don't want to be compassionate. It doesn't mean that we don't want to help. But you got to make sure that you're seeking the Lord because you don't want to get in the way of what God himself is doing. The third thing I would tell you is this. Don't, also, don't give up on what God's doing in you. Because sometimes when we've walked away, sometimes when we've lived in rebellion, sometimes when we're there, it's like, okay, well, we've ruined it. No, God still cares. And sometimes we turn back to the Lord. And again, we don't know when this was. We don't know when chapter two was. We don't know if it was on day one or day three. But sometimes I've seen people and they, they, they've, they've walked away from the Lord. They've come back. But still, right, they're still in the mess. And it's like, will God ever redeem this? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Just be patient. God is doing, and one of the things that I have found is it's amazing how in our life, those places of brokenness ultimately become that place where we minister the most. But be patient. God's not done. His tool is time. His goal is repentance. Repentance. Now, repentance is one of the most misunderstood words in Christianity today. In fact, so much so that if we were to actually have this as a dialogue, there would probably be 
pushback from some people this weekend on how I want to define repentance. But to me, it's really important. For so many people, the idea of repentance is the idea of sorrow, remorse, right? I have to feel this, right? I, I've, got to, I've got to be sorrowful, and that's repentance. And I'm going to argue with you that's not when you look and understand how the word is used and, and, and what it means. That it's, it's not that. Because I meet people all the time that are really sorrowful, and the reason they're sorrowful is they got caught. They got exposed. But it's not repentance. And, and others say, well, no, repentance is, is like turning from sin. And yet, again, here's the problem with those understanding. First of all, I don't think it's what the word means. And secondly, the problem is, is that when we're riding our emotions, right, we're sorrowful, we decide, hey, I'm going to turn, right? Those are all things that, yeah, today, that's what I feel, but tomorrow I turn right back. And I'll quit right now, but I go right back. What does repentance really mean? It comes from the Greek word, and I'm not a Greek scholar, I will be the first to admit that. Metanoia. Meta, change, noia, mind. It's a change of mind and heart. It, it's, not, it's not, now there might be sorrow with it, but the sorrow is not the heart of repentance. In fact, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 7, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, right? It got to the point where now all of a sudden they're aligning their thinking in a right way. It's also not just about changing behavior. You think about how Jesus uses in Luke 17, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day, now wait a minute, at that point it doesn't look like that they've turned from sin, right? But it, it's the idea of repent. Because repentance is about this change of mind. It's aligning our mind and our beliefs. Because here's the thing, emotions come and go. Emotions change. But truth is truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Paul, when he talks about the armor of God, put on that, that girdle of truth. And when we will live in truth and reject the lies, that's what will change behavior. And you look at it here in chapter 2. You look at it in verse 4. I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again. I love that expression. I will look again towards your holy... Oh, by the way, I'm the one who's left. I'm the one who's walked away. But I will look again. You see it again in verse, uh, verse 7. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. You know, here's the thing with Jonah. Jonah thought that Jonah knew better for his life. That's a lie. Jonah thought, these Ninevites, man, they're, they're terrible. They, they skin people alive. They impale them on, on, on sticks and let them cook in the desert. 
They rip out people's tongues and cut it out. I don't want to do that. That's what I would be facing if I went there. He thinks he knows better than God. That's a lie. Here's the thing, folks. Many times our sin and our rebellion is because we think we know better than God does for our life. That is a lie. God knows best. As much as you love yourself, God loves you more. And he wants your best, which your best is that you would become like Jesus. That is the thing that has greatest value. And what you need to do is you need to repent and bring your thinking into line that God knows best. That God's way is always best. That I have set myself up as my own God instead of him being the God of my life. That's repentance. That's what God calls us to. It starts, that's why the Christian life is a battle for our mind. We need to think truth. Honestly, it's the whole reason we're doing the uh, resident strangers. How do we stand in truth? And we all battle this because we all have ourselves and people around us and the enemy telling us lies and we want to to believe that instead of standing in truth repentance is the goal and then his way is the way of grace you know sometimes people it's easy to read this story and think okay god really needed jonah to go to nineveh right He really needed Jonah. That's why he pursues him to this point. The reality of the the situation is God didn't need Jonah. Now, I know you read the Old Testament, you get involved in 1 Kings and 2 Kings and all the prophets and the kings. You get in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles and then it really goes batty. Then you get to the end of the, the, the uh, Old Testament. You got all these minor prophets and it just gets so confusing. So let me give you a little history. God doesn't need Jonah. If God's whole issue here is not Jonah, it's just the Ninevites... A couple prophets that had just preceded Jonah, Elijah and Elisha. They prophesied to Israel too, the northern tribes. He could have sent them. Contemporaries, the same time that Jonah is a prophet, you have Amos. You have Hosea. God could have sent them. The next prophet that's coming on the scene that I think probably all of you have heard of, Isaiah. God doesn't need Jonah. God doesn't need Steve. God doesn't need you. So why on God's green earth does he pursue us? If he doesn't need us, he pursues us because he loves us. He pursues us because he cares about us. He pursues us because we have great value to him. You are of great value to the Lord. And you go, but Steve, you don't know what I've done. And you're right, I don't. And let's keep it that way. 
but I can tell you, but you don't know what I've done, and I really want to keep it that way. Because we're all fallen, we're all broken. And God pursues us, not because we deserve to be pursued. The reality of the story is this. For you and for I, Jesus has died on the cross for those things that we have done. And he pursues us now out of his love and out of his grace. You cannot stray too far as a child of God that if you lift up your eyes, even if you're in the belly of the fish, and you say, I'm going to turn again to the Lord, guess who's there with open arms? He loves you. He cares about you. And in his grace, he will restore anyone who repents. Anyone. You can't go too far. That if you will turn again to him, you will align your mind with his truth. You'll see sin for what it is. And turn to him that he will not forgive, that he will not restore, that he will not redeem. And as I mentioned before, been around long enough now to, to see that so often, so often in our lives, if we will repent and we will turn back and we will align our thoughts with him, those very pieces of brokenness are the things that God in his redemption will actually use in our life to ultimately minister to others. But that's up to him. What we're called to do is to repent. I don't know where you might be. Maybe you're here, you don't know Jesus. He pursues you to come to faith in him. But I know most of you are at that point. He pursues us to always turn back to him and repent.